You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hello everyone and welcome back to Make It Thrive. I would first of all like to say a big thank you to those of you who've been listening and giving us some great feedback. Company culture is clearly something we all have such a diverse experience of so it's been great to hear from all of you about your own experiences and how these conversations are really helping. Of course without all of you I couldn't continue to ask those deep and meaningful questions. Now, I am slightly still in shock that we're now on to season three, but here we are, and gosh, do we have some interesting topics in this season. I'm really excited. But today, I'm joined by Tom Ball, Managing Director of Integro Languages Group. Tom has been working in the languages industry for around 15 years and owns two niche language service companies, Integro and Lexica. So let's get started. So hi, Tom. Give us an introduction to yourself and tell our audience what you do there at Integro Languages. Uh, Hi, Lizzie. It's it's lovely to meet you and and great to be here. So thanks very much for having me. Um, Integro Languages is originally a translation services group. And uh, I started the business back in 2007. And we've been on a pretty lengthy journey over that time. So it's about 12 years now that we've been doing this. Um, And that's kind of, I know that's a part of what we here to talk about, so I'm not going to rush straight into it. But essentially, um, Integra Languages is a specialist language services company. So we provide high quality premium translation services to two very specific and key and quite niche audiences at the moment. Fantastic. That sounds very fascinating. You've really got a um, unique business there because when you sort of think about languages and things like that I suppose it sounds really silly but I've never really thought about the whole business um, concept behind it really so it's such a unique business to be in I think. Oh well thank you I mean you're not alone in that it's something that flies under a lot of people's radar and when I when I find myself telling people what I actually do the most common response is cool I I, I didn't even know that existed I didn't think anyone <laughs> I just thought these things just happened somehow so, uh, it's fun. <laughs> So you and I were introduced by another fellow guest on this podcast, um, Lee Carnahan, um, after he shared a feature with me about sort of saying goodbye to clients. And this is something, funnily enough, I've had a lot of conversations about recently. In fact, I met someone else yesterday for a coffee and we got onto this and it was just, it's one of those topics that I feel is kind of out there that people are talking about, but maybe they're not really openly talking about it. Um, so while it doesn't sound like the kind of topic that maybe can inspire a company culture, I'm a true believer that, you know, your people have to feel passionate about the people they're working alongside. And this also includes your customers. Um, so I really wanted to talk to a company who've decided to, you know, pick a niche, be selective about their customers and how that's impacted their culture. So let's get started with why you decided to get really specific about your business, um, because I know this is something that you can relate to. Very much so. So for us, it came actually from necessity in many senses. Um, To to go back a little bit then, 
in 2007, when I started the business, I just knew that I was passionate about languages and wanted to provide language services. And quite quickly, that started going in a broad range of directions. I had clients who were in public services, who were councils, who were housing associations, and then also businesses trying to grow internationally and businesses trying to sell overseas investments and all, all sorts of things, really. And that felt great. It felt like success for quite a long time, but it got to a point where um, the team grew, there was more work, there was more money, but we were so spread across different markets and different areas of activity that we got a little bit lost. We didn't really know how to, how to kind of clearly describe what's our value and who we really want to work with. It also, that kind of scale then needs to be supported. So in, when you have a great year, you want to have an even greater year than next year. And yeah. in looking for more and more business, we were, we were kind of chasing work in any direction that we could possibly find it. And it took us into things that we shouldn't really have been doing. So it took us into projects that were too tech heavy, perhaps, or that were in a range of languages that we were less capable of doing but wanted to and wanted to grow in every possible direction and it it got unmanageable so we got to a point where we thought well I, I realized that firstly the business was struggling we were underperforming and letting down certain client groups and it was time to sort that out so really for us slightly differently perhaps to why some people might be listening to these podcasts but for us, it came from a point of real necessity. We had we had to make some changes and up our game in some key areas. Um, and then I'm sure we'll talk about the process of how that was done, and I'm, I'm very happy to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's interesting as well that you touch on about um, chasing work mm. because I think that's what a lot of businesses can get into the habit of. Yeah. So you can end up, and I think it's something that, you know, maybe all, all business and leaders can relate to is that you, you know, you can almost come across as quite sort of desperate to, to get as much work in as possible without really thinking about whether that client or that work is going to be the, the, the get, are you going to be able to provide the best quality for them? Um, it's just about trying to get it through the door. And I know this is something I've spoken about a lot to people recently, because especially, again, when it comes to kind of even culture, you know, people are still very uneducated about what that really is. Yeah. Um, and there have been times where I've had to sit in meetings and think, oh, do you know what? As much as I really want the work, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I don't think we're going to get on. Um, and I don't think... I don't think, you know, my approach to things is going to actually benefit your business. That's fantastic. Um, so you, have, you have to be almost quite quite brutal with yourself because, I, you know, even, even from, from my business point of view, I want to ensure that the, the change and improvements I make give real impact, that that can only come from a collaborative effort with me working alongside those leaders in that business. Um, so it's difficult, isn't it, when, when businesses are at this stage where they're sort of chasing work, thinking that that's what they need to do, when actually it's almost like having to take stock for a moment and think, well, well where, where are we and what, what, work do, what work should we be getting in? Yeah, I'd say you've absolutely nailed it there. There's, there's a really important part to this, I feel, which is that in the, the first step in my journey was to look at all of the work that we did. So we might have 500 clients 
and there was an easily identifiable, let's say the 80-20 rule, 20% of those clients for whom we were just a remote relationship. We hadn't really clicked and we weren't doing amazing quality work. We were just kind of providing a function. And those were the first people for whom we thought, well, we need to probably think about getting these clients out and moving them to somewhere where actually they'll be getting something better. Because mm. if we're not that happy and not feeling that we're providing 100% of what we're capable of doing for those clients, then they're also not getting what they deserve. It's not fair on them either. And there is yeah. a kind of honesty here that's, that, that, that comes from just saying there are people that we're great for and there are people that we're not great for. And if, if I'm sitting in a meeting with you and it's a sales situation, it's a nice order that I'd like to have but I don't think I'm great for you. It is my duty to tell you, you know, I, I can't just take yeah. that order because I want it or just go ahead with that bit of work because it sounds nice. I have, I, you, you, you should be telling people in that situation and you should be open with yourself that you can't be there for everyone. Yeah, definitely. No, I completely agree. And I think a lot of businesses are a bit scared about being that selective with their clients. Mm. You know, maybe is maybe it is a case of um, you know necessity, like you've mentioned, that that people almost go the opposite direction and, and try to get as much in as possible. But I do think in in business in general, there's almost this you know saying no is often frowned upon, um, because you know we're meant to be going yes, yes, yes to all these opportunities. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, how, how did you overcome those initial fears about, you know, being more selective? Did you have anyone who thought, are you, you know, are you crazy? Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely yeah, very much so. So a lot with it within the business initially, um, it, it was, it was very disruptive and it was completely transformative as a process. So we lost two members of staff during the process uh, who just weren't confident that it was the right move and one of the one of the uh, implications of running a what I call generalist business where you're serving a whole range of different clients is that you have to have generalist staff so your employees yeah. are the kind of people who are able to turn their hand from this to that they're very receptive and open to new things but they're jacks of all trades essentially and mm. it became clear that actually I needed people who were going to pick a thing they really, really loved, a step in the process, or just listen to what I tell them to focus on and really hammer down and, and focus on that. Um, so that was very, very difficult from a staffing perspective, and it meant that some people had to go and some new people had to join the business. And then mm. just generally in terms of the whole community of business advisors and, and people that I spoke to, they were very 50-50 the whole thing really and I had a lot of people tell me I was doing the wrong thing and a number of those clients who I asked to leave as well who said you're right that we've not been entirely happy and and yeah you did make a few mistakes but let's work this out but and when it came to guys I'm sorry but actually we've reframed and should reshape this business and we no longer do this kind of work and it's not on offer anymore um yeah, some of the responses yeah. to that were surprisingly never never hostile but they weren't as supportive and understanding as you'd like for obvious reasons, I suppose yeah. they have to go and find a new supplier now, which is a pain in the neck, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely, no. It, it's it is a it's a really fascinating subject, and I think, like you said, it is it is quite disruptive. You know, being selective 
is disruptive because you're making a very um, conscious choice, I think, about the direction of your business. And like you said, you, you want people in there who are passionate about what they do. You want people to be fully involved in their process rather than being quite sort of, you know, generalist, I suppose. I mean, call me old fashioned. And I, I know this saying gets sort of batted around quite a lot. Um, but I do believe in, you know, people buy from people. Um, I, I am the way I am. I think some people think I'm quite flamboyant when I come in because right. I'm quite colourful. And, you know, I, just my character overall, I, I'm, I'm quite a cheerful person. And not everybody likes a, a cheerful, happy person. Um, but I, I think, you know, well, you know, if you, if you don't want to work with me, I know other people that perhaps suit your style. You know, um, I'm very open and honest and creative with my approach. So, again, sometimes that isn't for people. And I think it's sometimes about making those connections, you know, having those conversations with your customers and knowing that actually, oh, we, we have similar values and, you know, we definitely know that we can serve your business in the best way. Um, I mean, I want to get on with people I work with. I want them to hold the same values I do. I mean, so how, I mean, from your experience, how would you recommend to other businesses on how they can start to discover their niche and find their clients, I suppose? It's a really good question. It comes down to, there's two possible ways of coming at this situation, the way I see it. If you're starting out and moving towards a position of, of trying to grow, then it feels harder and scarier I can well imagine yeah if on the other hand you're where I was where you've actually overgrown and taken on too much and made the whole generalist jack of all trades mistake then coming backwards in the opposite direction is probably easier in some respects because you're yeah. trimming down rather than growing up but actually the, the thought process and I think the idea is essentially the same so in our case what we had to do was look at all of our clients and dig into our CRM and understand who we're working with. And they clearly divided into three groups. There's a contented and perfectly okay middle. At one end of the scale, there was a premium group who loved what we did. We were excited about their orders. We wanted to talk to them. We wanted kind of to build relationships further and further with them. And we were doing work for them that we liked doing and knew that we were giving great results. And then group three was the opposite end of the scale where the relationships always get a bit ropey. Maybe there's not a good personal fit. Mm-hmm. The kind of work they're asking for us is slightly outside of our confidence zone and either takes more time, more cost or more risk to deliver. Or that we just weren't feeling it sometimes and neither were they and you could just tell. So breaking it yeah. those three, we have group one, which is complete focus, absolutely go after that. Group two is see what happens. You know, the people in the middle will kind of, they can stay there and, and, and we'll all be fine for now, but that's to be reconsidered. And group three has to go. That was my really basic view of it. So I went and visited all of our group three clients, explained the situation. We've done this for you, but I'm afraid we're no longer going to be able to do it going forward because we're concentrating our efforts on this other end of the scale. And somehow those, those those group one clients need to be defined. They may be from a particular sector. They may have a particular size. They might have a particular budget level. They might be interested in a particular domain. Somehow they need defining. And they yeah. will normally 
reflect something about yourself. We found that all of those clients that we really, really liked. So in the so this is this is where we ended up going off in two particularly separate directions. But for us, we realized that all of those clients were translating complex and quite challenging marketing materials. And they prevent they present a huge challenge and they're very difficult to translate well. And we loved it. We just got really, really stuck into it. We had the right kind of translators that really got excited and carried away by the challenges involved. And I'm from a marketing background and I found it all, it just ticked for me and the team got on board with it really, really well. So we really dug down in that direction and we looked for people with difficult and complex marketing marketing messages and looked to put together a really solid kind of something no one else does level of service for those kinds of businesses. Um, in the other instance, we realized that the other group of people that we were providing really, really well and really loved was the insurance industry. And we've spun off a completely separate, smaller niche company, which is actually bigger now, but a completely separate niche company uh, called Lexica, which uniquely serves the travel insurance assistance industry, which is this crazy niche industry that no one even knows exists. And, and we have essentially created an offering that literally doesn't exist out there in the marketplace. We've done it years wow. of sitting down with people from that industry and saying, we, we, we're starting to see that you've got kind of the same challenges as half a dozen of your mates here. And there's a massive opportunity for us to do this right, because right now it's clear that you're really being underserved by the rest of the market. And that's taken a lot of time, a lot of money, but but picking a little group that, that you care about and that you know gets some value from you because they're all coming with the same complaints or problems or worries, quite quickly, just just follow it, geek out and, and go down that path way further than probably necessary. And you have a niche business. That's 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 all they are really. They're just the exploration of a particular piece of interest or a geek activity you've got a bit carried away with <laughs> no I, <laughs> I absolutely love that because it's very practical as well I love the way you've kind of really honed in on segmenting all of your sort of customers and really identifying you know the, those passion points I suppose of you know this is what we're really enjoying and this is what we're really good at um because like you say there's a there's a lot of businesses out there who who try and you know cover all bases and perhaps spreading themselves thinly is not really working um well i think the irony is that it it kind of it has to happen because eventually especially if you think about online dating if you try and spread that pool really really broadly mm-hmm. You will actually you'll actually end up with those three splits anyway. You'll have a yeah. few people who are absolutely clicking and it's absolutely going great, and they get you, you get them. You'll have a average bulk in the middle, and you'll have some people that you can't stand and can't stand you. <laughs> and all that happened really is that I walked the path that I'm that kind of think we're both advising people not to for too long, yeah. and got, trying to keep everybody happy because that's the kind of nice people that we are, and eventually it doesn't work. No. And those three groups will segment themselves and create themselves. And when the problem gets to the scale that it got to for us, they'll become obvious. Yeah. And I, I think what I would encourage people to do is from day one, actually be intentional about acknowledging that and saying, I know who I am and what I love. I'm really, really passionate about horses. So I'm not going to translate stuff about race cars. And that's the beginning of that process, essentially, and just recognizing that there are, 
some kind of people for whom you're not right is harder before you've walked that walk. And you don't necessarily need to start by being that narrow, but but have that focus in mind the whole time that you're not going to love everyone. Not everyone's going to love you. And that's fine. Definitely. I think that's some sound advice there, Tom. (laughs) I love it. So, of course, the big sort of area that we're going to talk about today, I mean, is how all of this, you know, being selective and niching down is going to help with, you know, your company culture. So from your experience, how, how has this enabled and sort of helped you to structure your company culture? Right. Fantastic question. So the two things probably is that there's nothing worse culturally than the pain of struggling as a business. As soon as we got into a position where things weren't as good as we wanted them to be it it was poisonous for morale and the culture within the company definitely suffered so simply not doing anything in that in that situation was becoming really negative for culture um everyone was worried about their jobs i was worried about everyone's jobs we were all constantly watching cash flow we got into client relationships that weren't where we wanted them to be that makes people feel miserable you know there was there was discontentment all over the place secondly then the the new way of doing business means we're doing things we like with people that we feel a certain connection to the staff are there to do a thing that they like as well they share that we have this kind of nicely narrowed offering that is built around really clear values that we all share within the business and we all know what we're working towards and sharing as a global mission if you like that is hugely positive for culture we're all on the same yeah. song sheet we don't need to be competing or worried within the business there's no there's no fear or discomfort which means that we can all just support and help each other and we don't need to worry about which divisions posting better figures than other divisions or anything of the sort Everything has changed as a result of doing it. The people are happier, they're more contented, they're working in a way that suits them and makes more sense for them. And there is no fear of urgency or challenge, except for the the obvious continued imperative to always get better. We're in a place of comfort and calm now. Fantastic. No, that that's really proof in the pudding, isn't it, really, that when you choose something that your team's really aligned with and really believe in the values of the business and the people they're working for as well, you know, they, they, they're passionate about those projects. It just goes to show you, doesn't it, how actually people are a lot happier in the work they're doing. And a lot of the time, I mean, do you find that people are also far more creative because they're so almost saturated in this arena that, they're, they're so much more open to, you know, ideas and ways in which you can improve the business. Without a doubt, yeah. And I'd even go so far as to say that as soon as we'd started to work out, okay, the, these particular clients, so these insurance clients are great for us. They like us. We like them. Our whole extended, extended greater team like and get them. We then started looking, so how do we then change what we do to build something that is the absolute perfect sharp tool for this job and this job only, which is where 
things get really, really interesting and, and really valuable. And I'd, I'd go so far as to say that most of the great ideas and the great input and the great work came from the team, it didn't really come from me. And once they got it and saw the opportunity and the free prize inside all of it, they just went nuts with it. I mean, I've been so impressed by the support that I've had from from the team around me. Um, I've never seen I've never seen anything like it from them. In all of our days as generalists, they were just doing their jobs really, and suddenly they got yeah. really excited. Um, and and we, what we have now is an incredibly kind of creative and unique business that wouldn't really have come from simply me sitting around and thinking about it. It had to be very very collaborative. Definitely, absolutely, it is. It's it's bringing everybody on on that journey with you, isn't it? Rather than just kind of. Mm dictating I suppose I mean now that you've found you know this niche and you've you've been very selective are there any particular changes you've made in regards to the culture processes you've implemented so for example have you made any particular changes to the way you hire or onboard sort of new team members to ensure that this approach remains really strong in your culture um have we I'm quite a slow hirer and I'm unapologetically so, kind of with the rest of the team. I will probably allow people to burst at the seams a little bit more than, than other people will because I am so protective of corporate culture. Yeah. Um, I have been there several times of having made not wrong but imperfect hiring decisions. And um, it really is the kind of thing where you, you decide in, what is it, they decide in haste and repent at leisure, don't they? Um, the, Reality is we, we do have a very, very strong sense of who we are and what we do now. And that really is how I'd sum it all up, because the ability for me to take what we do and I, if I meet a potential customer or just anyone, if I'm at a networking event or an investment seminar or anything, within two sentences, I can tell a person what we do exactly how we do it and who we do it for in a way that in seconds they know either either you're worth me talking to or you're not you know either i'm in that group or i'm not and exactly the same thing is probably true of our corporate culture now that knowing that we're so crystal clear on the tiny thing that we do and the tiny group of people that we do it for that is for you or it's not and you know you know immediately so yeah. I don't have yeah. to worry so much anymore. I, people vet themselves in a sense um, because that's the whole point really for me of the yes. niching process yeah. is that you're, you're so ridiculously focused that you don't need to do the filtering anymore. People filter themselves yeah. because that's either them or it's not. They know it. Being that focused has enabled us to completely rewrite mission statements and company values, for example. Thinking about a large business where you're serving 20 different kinds of client group. Every time we came to rethink our brand or redo the website, every change that we made was to the detriment of someone else. So we would pursue healthcare translations a little bit more and suddenly we were realizing well, all of our other clients are going to be looking at this and thinking, well, that's, that's not me anymore then. What does that mean? And you can't move. You can't pinpoint anything down and you just have to stay vague and in these broad, we do great quality and we believe in good work kind of empty statements. And we don't have to do that anymore. 
I can be really, really clear. We're a translation specialist providing the world's best language services for the travel insurance assistance industry. I don't need to worry about how any other software manufacturer is going to feel about that because they don't matter to me. And yeah. the same is true of staff. We're all centrally around it. And it means that the, the mission, the goal and the, the purpose of what we do is so much clearer yeah. as a result. Yes, absolutely. You know what, Tom, I think you've really highlighted um, an important part, point there as well, because I often say to people when I go into businesses about, you know, mm. aligning their their mission and their values and really getting clear on these aspects is it, it unconsciously eliminates, you know, those poor hires because, you know, perhaps they're having they're struggling to, to grow the team or they're going through a growth phase and they're like, oh, it all feels, you know, we started off with this culture and now it's all a little bit diluted and... Um, you know, and, and the truth of it is, you know, the strength in your mission and values will immediately make someone when they read your website, when they read um, the way you've put an ad out, when they read, you know, what your business is about, they instantly know in their head whether actually, oh, that's the place I want to work or that's the place I don't want to work. So, you know, you, you are very much so maybe even unintentionally actually creating a a process in which that you're only going to get people through the door that are your people that understand your business your mission and are excited about those projects rather than just like you say just doing a job I couldn't agree more yeah well I have been thoroughly inspired by your story Tom and I think there are so many more um, businesses that need to be brave enough to be selective and start finding their niche because, you know, as we've heard from your story, it really can make a big impact, especially on your business and your company culture. So are there any any further kind of hints or tips that you'd like to give people before we say goodbye? Um, no, I mean, I don't think I'm in a position to, to tell people what to do, really, but I, I think it's um, it's just been interesting to you go through a process and you look backwards and you see it all so much more clearly. Yeah. The, the further away you are from anything, the smaller it is. And the, and the same applies to problems, doesn't it? And, and challenges and things. Definitely. I think um, we, talk, we touched really on, early on at the start about this feeling of having to say yes to everyone. And uh, I read something really inspiring lately that, that said that there is no greater discipline than saying no to things you don't really want to do especially when everyone else is doing it, telling you that you should do it. Yes. If you've started a business, the likelihood is that you do it because you're someone that likes to kind of beat your own path a little bit. And you don't have to say yes to stuff that comes along. And you, you, the, the, the worst thing you can possibly do is just grasp in desperation at everything that's, that's hanging around. So starting out really by setting out your stall very clearly of this is what, and it's not it, it's superficial to talk in terms of what you like and don't like. I realise that's a little bit childish, but I'm the right guy for this kind of thing, and I'm not really the right the best guy for this kind of thing. And and just take out the hazy mess around the outside that kind of adds up to. Oh, you reckon I could probably do it if I learn a bit, work it out? That's a really bad idea in most cases, um, unless you're going to really pick a specific thing and absolutely go for it but if you are frequently saying yeah i can I, I can probably stretch to that then that's a bit of a warning sign really so just calm down at that point take yeah. it back on yourself to think like what if i were choosing my course of action at this point and there is no one else involved and no one i need to worry about no one else that can ever tell me what to do or that i have to answer to 
what would I really like to be doing? Let's do that. Well, I think there's some words of wisdom right there, Tom. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. And for those of you that are interested in everything that Tom does, all of the website details and Tom's Twitter is in the show notes as well. So follow up what he's doing. But thank you so much for Tom for joining me today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.